Hi, Ash. Happy um, move the clock back or move the clocks forward Sunday rather you can see how well this day is going with my brain already like it can't keep track of whether or not we fell back or sprung forward hopefully you're having it have had a good weekend and are starting to adjust to the clock change <laughs> yeah it, actually when you said that I just started looking around the room so <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think what I just realized is that for the last four months I never got around to setting the clock on my wall um which yes uh, so now it's right again. It's right eight eight months of the year. I, I didn't realize that until uh, today. I was uh, listening to something, and they were talking about how uh, you know there's these you know everyone always talks around this time of year about like hey we should get a, get rid of this sort of bouncing back and forth <laughs> yes. at the times, and then there's the question of what does that actually mean? Do you want to standardize on standard time or daylight savings time? Mm -hmm. And uh, then it then I realized, based on what they were talking about, that uh, the daylight savings part is the one that we actually spend more time in eight yes. months out of the year. So I, yes. I, I guess in the, I never really just this would have been easy to know had I cared that much about it. But like it, <laughs> it's eight months of the year. So now we have the benefit of like, you know, the, the longer end of day the sun's not i mean it's kind Which of is nice it's nice it's not like dark out right now as we're talking <laughs> I, it's true because like when we kind of really got into doing this podcast i think it was towards the end of august last mm -hmm. year and then we had a little bit of time and then um you know for the last four months i've always thought of podcasting with you as like i sit in front of a window here and <laughs> it's always going to be dark and uh yeah. yeah it's just it's weird talking you into, to you in the daylight it's it's been a while <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was, it's been, it's been a whole weird start to the day as like, um, cause I give, um, a couple of lessons to, to members of my family and we had to remind each other, okay, it's going to feel like it's an hour earlier and man, my brain nor my, neither my brain nor my fingers were ready for, for, for trying to teach and or play this morning. It was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> Yeah, we didn't even bother. I mean, we were we were thinking about going out and trying uh, some rock climbing uh, and as a family. And just by the time we got around to even seeing the light of day, we just looked at each other and like, yeah, we're not going to nope. do that. But I think, uh, you know, it was it was not too long ago that um, the CEO of the company I work for, uh, Nihilus, he, he jumped into uh, our, our DevRel team Slack channel mm -hmm. um, to share a meme, which is there's one of these memes, which is illustration. So there's like a guy just kind of walking along the sidewalk and then another dude like show, uh, uh, kind of like coming up with a knife. <laughs> and so in this case, it was like the guy that was just like minding his own business, like walking, walking along the sidewalk was the me just wanting to build a, a little crud app. Mm -hmm. And then the guy with the knife was time zones. <laughs> Oh man. <laughs> so and it's so true, right? Like you think it's about horrible. like I mean, like and that's that it, it shows up in the easy, silliest of places. Like I recall when mm -hmm. you and I worked together and we would do developer events for Creative Cloud, we would announce times and you know, inevitably put the wrong thing cuz like yep. in the US, so uh, people in Germany, for example, find this absolutely appalling that the U people in the US don't really think about this much, but like it's hard for us to remember in the US whether we are in, say, for example, Eastern Standard Time or Eastern Daylight Time. Daylight Time, yes. Why? Because we don't use the S and the D internally, domestically in the US. Mm -hmm. You are in ET, you are in PT, 
and occasionally you find yourself working with people in MT <laughs> or CT. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's that one too, right? So, uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, no, it's a. Uh, but in all seriousness, like that that obviously doesn't work because you're now an hour off if you're trying to plan mm-hmm. stuff with people in Europe. And then, of course, the next best thing that we often tried to do and failed would be just, oh, we'll guess at it. It's EDT. And it was totally not and EDT. We'll guess it was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then guess wrong. So I, I always found uh, just going and Googling was probably the best recourse. Um, yes. To this day, I, I struggle to remember which is which. Oh, it drives me up the wall. And then, like, if you're trying to imagine, okay, well, okay, so this time zone here will be roughly this time frame for someone in Europe or India. And you feel like you, you just when you start to have a handle on those things, then then uh, the time zone or the the daylight saving hits, and it's different across the the in various countries. Like I think now it'll be another couple of weeks for Europe before they make the switch. And it's like, okay, (laughs) tomorrow is going to be really interesting with respect to all of our international meetings. Is okay, who's going to how 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 badly is the calendar messed up? Because I've seen like Outlook and stuff like that. Uh, fail rather miserably as to um, keeping the right time frames and everything. It's like, okay, Monday is going to be so fun. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a really good point. I forgot about that whole shuffling of the, I mean, these days, my my uh, time zone graph uh, at work, so to speak, is a lot simpler than it used to be when I was working in a larger corporate environment. So, you know, there are definitely folks in Europe to take into account. And most mm-hmm. of the time, it's about it. Um, working with uh, colleagues in India is always interesting anyways, because not only is it a very different time zone, it's also off by 30 minutes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which just drives my brain nuts. It's like, is it is it 30 minutes more? Is it 30 minutes back? And like, I don't it's, it shouldn't be that hard for my brain to come up with and understand. And yet every time I'm looking at it, I'm going, OK, there's a website and I've, I, I forget what it is, but it's like one of the first ones, like anytime you search for time in India. Um, it's usually the first ones that come up and it's like, I like it because it shows you the, the parallel tracks of here's your time zone and here's India time zone and another common one. And you can actually see how it all lines up. And even then I'm still second guessing myself. (laughs) Yeah. I have at least, uh, I want to say like two different apps on my phone for different scenarios where I need to like calculate something uh when google won't quite cut it or i'm trying to plan something far enough in the future that i can't remember who's switched what time at that right. point yeah oh <laughs> uh, yeah it is something else and so i'm ve- i'm very glad um uh that that's like time zones themselves time changes are always fun um i still remember um and this is reaching back many years and i'm glad i don't have to do this anymore um, but in in one of my past life, I was data a database administrator for a, a college, and um, every time that uh, around this time period, or or whenever the 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 regulations changed or the rules changed about when daylight saving time would begin or end, there was always this 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 push to push a new update to the database because that was going to control that it appropriately made the change to bumping an hour ahead or not. And they were not hard patches to push in any way, shape or form. But I still remember is like, I mean, there's, there's still a patch to the system. And so you have all the steps of making sure your backups are in order and you're following all the steps to, to, you know, double check everything, um, make sure everything worked and, and all that jazz. I'm glad I don't have to do like that for, for JavaScript. (laughs) 
Mm. <laughs> I, I, I'm very much happy that I don't have to be dealing with time zone patch files anymore. Mm. <laughs> For sure. I think I found myself recently trying to work on some piece of sample code. Uh, we're, we're in the middle of rolling out a new onboarding experience for developers mm -hmm. uh, at Nihilus. And one of our pieces of sample code, since, you know, we do email and calendar APIs, uh, inevitably involves using time in some ways. Right. Uh, so I just found myself going in and checking, you know, when you install the NPM dependencies, like are all the right things in installing? And, and sure enough, someone forgotten to put one of the dependencies being Luxon, uh, which Luxon. is the, yeah, so uh, the, a whole other topic, <laughs> but I'll, I'll, the TLDR is like, uh, it's a, it's a convenience library for, for dates. Uh, oh, nice. So, okay. so there's like that one in JavaScript called uh, date functions, mm -hmm. uh, uh, date dash FNS, which is like um, super lightweight. You just pull in what you need and that's it. But sometimes you're going to need like oftentimes you're going to need something more robust than that, that you can yeah. speak in sort of a human vernacular using the library. There was at one point a, for a long time, a library called moment.js. Mm -hmm. I remember that. And I have a blog post on my site. Maybe I'll link to it, uh, but it's not as relevant anymore, but three or four years ago, I was working on something that required dates using moment.js. And I was battling this really egregious bug inside of the app at the time, only to realize that, one of the issues with Moment.js at the time, well, to this day, I assume, is that it, it was mutable. So, oh. yeah, anytime you anytime you ran something like you, you were basically changing the original sort of object. And I didn't realize that. So that I have a blog post that kind of like kind of walks through like my slow yes. realization of this issue. And Moment.js had an affordance in it called cloning, where you would mm -hmm. clone a date and then run functions on it. So you didn't accidentally, um, you know, mutate the original date that you wanted to work with. At any rate, at the time, there was this new thing called Luxon, which I assume is made by the same maintainers. Um, but this was meant to be like the next generation sort of like modern immutable JavaScript approach. Um, so yeah, these days, like that's the one you would grab for if you want a robust solution, mm -hmm. if you want one that's more simple, uh, I think the name of that, that library is called date dash FNS. I don't totally remember. Um, but that one can be really great for just like simple little things that you need to grab. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you're, if you're just scripting something, um, I'd probably go for that one first. Uh, it's kind of a Swiss army knife when it comes to dates. I'm so glad that there are. <laughs> I this it's, it's, this reminds me of uh, my family and I. We were watching um, it's a British show, and I, I'm blanking on the names, um, but it's basically this show where it's presenting um, a, a couple of artisans and trying to help them be better at marketing themselves and gaining in confidence and like you know scaling their process so that they can actually make a living on these things. And so there's variations on the themes. There's there's someone who's building, you know, artwork or someone who's building furniture or someone who's, you know, doing some really intricate metal work. And it's it's really fascinating to watch. Um, and for some reason, um, there was uh, a segment where um, this person's favorite work of our uh, work of uh, building things was a stool. And which uh, made me think all of a sudden is like, thank goodness that there are people who who love making these things and, you know, putting in the time and effort to make them high quality and all of that jazz. I don't know how that occurs, you know, to you that, oh, this is the direction that I want to go. 
But that just reinforces to me is like, I'm super happy there are people <laughs> smart enough and passionate enough to work on date and time libraries because one, I'm not two, I'm going to get it wrong. And I don't want to try and reinvent that wheel because it's, a, it's, it's, it's nuts, but I'm so glad that there are people who are passionate about that. <laughs> oh yeah. When there's so much of that in the programming community in general, and, and obviously with Node.js worlds being so sort of, you know, kind of let's keep everything modular and, and small kind of thing. Like there's always a library for someone who's done the thing. Um, and, you know, a lot of them are, can be super small things. But then mm -hmm. again, like the fact that two different, at least two different sets of folks wanted to sit down and solve the problem of handling dates in JavaScript. Um, in addition to, by the way, all of the uh, sort of, I don't know if, if they're browser APIs or what, but I mean, even like date handling in JavaScript itself in certain contexts mm -hmm. has certainly gotten a lot better than it Much used better. to be. Much better, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there definitely was times when it's like you, you, you were left to your own devices and it seems like that has improved quite a bit. Um, but there's, there's definitely, I know it doesn't solve for all the use cases, so I'm happy, happy that these libraries exist. Yeah, look, there's a time and a place for a Unix epic timestamp, but then again, there's... <laughs> There's a lot of other things one might need. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, I, that, that's probably not something you want to surface in your user interface and say, hey, user, can you parse this this Unix epoch time timestamp? <laughs> oh, come on. I expect a lot out of our users. You know, we can uh, I mean, surely, you know, what's <laughs> been going on, how long it's been since, you know, January 1st of 1970. Uh huh. Right. <laughs> uh, unless you happen to be born on that day. And then in which case you've got a leg up on everyone else. <laughs> Mm, that's handy. Yeah, people born on 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 like those sort of like beginning of a a decade years have a it's pretty lucky because it just makes it easy for them to know at any right? given time how old they are. Yeah. Otherwise, and I know it's trivial math, but I can never get the math right. It's like, okay, which side of that do I fall on? Am, am I giving making myself older or saying I'm younger than I really am? Uh, the 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 fun challenges of that. <laughs> So with our with our topic today, and interestingly, this was not it. Um, so, <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> but we had, not, unsurprisingly, we had some things to say about JavaScript and time. Uh, but now we're going to talk, uh, if I understand correctly, about uh, JavaScript question mark. Maybe not JavaScript, right? These might be domain specific languages or DSLs yeah. um, and diagramming. So I think you've got a tool or two that, that you want to walk us through a little bit. And I can't wait for this. Yeah. So um, a little bit of context. Um, what what started me down this path is uh, for, for a piece of uh, for something that's coming out here soon um, on the Adobe side, we were working on um, the steps uh, or the journey that a, a developer would take through a command line, right? And so you can imagine, okay, we're going to need XYZ commands. They're going to be typically executed in this particular order. How does that form the developer's journey through that? But also there's all these edge cases, right? Of like, oh, first use. And there's usually a few things that a CLI will say, Hey, do you want to enable, for example, do you want to enable telemetry? And it should only happen on the first time. It shouldn't happen again unless the user explicitly says, I want to modify how telemetry works. And um, it's one thing to have that in your head and assume a, a little bit that, oh, yeah, everyone has an, an understanding of how the CLI is kind of go going to work. It's not like it's inventing a new paradigm. We've all used CLIs like this in the past. 
Um, but then it was a different story of like, okay, well, how do we actually represent this? And how do we make sure we're on the same page? Cause it's, there's lots of ways that you could think about this. It's like, do I, do I want to, um, prompt it? And then is, do you change that with a flag or do you have a command? What stage of the journey is that in? Um, all of that stuff, uh, when you're designing the interface to a CLI. And so I started like, well, okay, we need to diagram this out. Um, it came in, it was becoming important for analytics and determining, you know, how we wanted to slot this into the user journey and stuff. And so several people at work started, started putting together a diagram and it was getting a little bit fun to try and manipulate because it was, I don't know about you, but I like to have when I'm describing a diagram, I don't want to have to go moving around, moving the boxes around whenever I need to insert something new, because I would always come across, oh, shoot, I didn't think about this. And now I need to totally make space for this new particular part of the flow. And the last thing I want to be doing is shift clicking on everything or trying to, to, to fuss with not selecting every object, but selecting the right objects, moving them around adjusting and the arrows because the arrows never land in the right spot. Um, God, God help us all. If you're doing that in Google slides as well, it uh, is horrible. I speak, <laughs> speak from experience on this one. Yeah. Sometimes you find yourself in that situation and it's just, it's awful. Um, it's suddenly, so suddenly, yeah, you, I think one of the dangers there too, is that the harder, if you're using a tool that makes it harder to sort of ideate live in the tool like that, mm -hmm. um, people develop a bit of resistance to uh, hashing out ideas yes. and sometimes like going back to the drawing board because the tool itself is going to make it hard to sort hard, of represent yeah. that, that rethought of like, Oh yeah, we kind of need to flip this upside down. Or uh, as you said, just like do an, a simple insert of a node or right. change the direction of an arrow. And now it's like, maybe, I don't know. I, I think there's some pressure that sometimes those tools will kind of like lock you into like, well, we represented this in a suboptimal way. But also, it's going to be hard to fix. So everyone's kind of like, mm. <laughs> yes. And I mean, and let's face it. I mean, no one wants to watch someone fight with a tool on a video call either. Like those those moments are no fun for anyone as either the the person using the tool or everyone else watching it going. Yeah, the tool is just not making it easy to, to make all of this stuff work. And I mean, kudos to anyone who actually does all that stuff live. Um, and, and knows their tool well enough to make that look relatively painless. I don't, uh, especially in Google slides. I don't know if there is any way to, <laughs> to make that painless in Google slides. No um, tips, no tips. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah they, it, it was a challenge. And so that led me down the route of there's gotta be a better way. Um, both just for my sanity, because I don't really care exactly where the boxes land. I just want it to be in a nice format that has enough space it's readable and i can share this out we can talk about it and it, then it's trivial to reorder things right and so looking at all those things um i came across this uh javascript library called mermaid js and what's really cool about mermaid js and uh the website is mermaid is not mermaid js it's mermaid.js.org and it's really intended to um, have uh, a JavaScript, a browser library where you could render various kinds of charts and, and diagrams in the browser um, and, and make that easy to develop with a kind of a domain uh, specific language. 
And um, what's wonderful about this is not only do they have some really good docs about all of the kinds of charts and diagrams, and mind maps, um, uh, all sorts of uh, things that you might not expect that this could could generate. Um, it has documentation for that. It has, had, has tutorials, but it has a live editor. And so I didn't have to install anything to get started. And if you're on the website, there's a there's a live editor tab. But uh, before I hop in there, I'll just speak to uh, read a little bit off their website. Mermaid diagramming and charting tool. So it's not just about diagramming. It can do charting as well. And it is rendering markdown inspired text definitions to create and modify diagrams dynamically. I only had to worry about the create stuff, but there's all sorts of things you could imagine from the dynamic side. If you integrated JavaScript programmatically modifying these things, like there's all sorts of cool things you could do. Um, but what really sold me was, okay, I don't have to learn um, like the, the, the idea is that this language is relatively simple to get started with. And it is true. It is, it is way easier, at least for my brain to type some of these kind of markdown inspired things and make the text be the source of the truth rather than a specific file format somewhere. Um, but there's all sorts of capabilities on it. There's various integrations that you can tie it into. Um, there's a, a lot of power here. Um, and, uh, there's a tremendous, uh, number of kind of diagrams. So there's flow charts, uh, sequence diagrams, which is what I'm going to talk to a little bit, um, which is what I was pr primarily trying to use. You've got things like class and state diagrams. So if anyone's familiar with UML, um, this is kind of serving that particular uh, mindset of being able to create entity relationship diagrams and class and states and all of these kinds of things. Um, so you can kind of think of it as a UML diagrammer tool. And th this is the part where I'll just interject that UML stands for Unified Modeling Language, if you're looking it up. Yes. Yes. Good. Thank you for that, because I was blanking on the the, the definition <laughs> of the acronym. Um, and so there's, a, there's, there's things in here that make UML really easy, but then they've gone and extended it. So there's things in here around user journeys, uh, Gantt charts, uh, pie charts, all sorts of things. And then it gets into some really interesting stuff like being able to design Git graphs, um, mind maps, and timelines, uh, which uh, these are a few of these are marked with like flaming uh, flames on the website. I'm assuming <laughs> indicating that these are the newest kind of things. So here there may be dragons. Um, but I mean, it's... lots of ways. It's either the new hotness or like it's on fire and don't build. <laughs> Yeah, uh, this is so cool. I mean, yeah, uh, I just can't wait to get into this. Like, there's a lot of stuff here. Uh, the Git graph thing sounds interesting, although I'm curious what the use case is. Timelines, always difficult to deal with uh, in a in a standard sort of document um, or building it as a slide. Yes. I can't wait to see. Um, I see just like even their, their little example here of the history of social media platforms. Mm -hmm. Pretty simple sort of example. Um, but yeah, uh, having having a way to sort of handle all of that stuff under the hood in a structured fashion and then have it spit out. Um, presumably it spits out a visualization that seems like what this is all about. Um, yes. Seems super handy. Yeah. And so that's what drew me to it is that, OK, great. I can build out something that I can describe in text. Um, and it's not like it's a super verbose language. It is um, a little terse in areas which you would want it to be. You don't want to have to 
write a hundred words to describe how this arrow connects to something else, right? So there's areas where you still want it to be terse, but it's still readable enough um, and and trivial for you to to make you know quick changes and, and things like that. There's not a whole lot of like um, custom uh, like blocks that you have to worry about. Like where am I in the it, it, am I going to break a block in the middle of something or um, in, you know, various kinds of indentation. There's a lot of here where it's trying, it's going to try and do the right thing, um, and be a little bit more lenient, um, in terms of how, how you're writing things. So there's a lot of things like you'll look in the documentation about how it's doing indentation. And a lot of that ends up boiling down to, well, how do you prefer to represent this visually that, so that you can understand it? Um, but, um, not necessarily like, it's not Python where it's like, it is a specific amount of indentation uh, that is required, uh, which I like. Um, the other nice thing with this uh, website is that it has a live editor. And so you can experiment with this and play with it um, and without having to install anything. And it's a pretty robust um, set of features. So the live editor has, um, uh, lots of examples for every different one of these uh, diagrams. Mm -hmm. um, and they don't necessarily illustrate every particular feature um, that you can do. I mean, there's some things that they left out to the, to the docs, but they're complicated enough that they, that you get a, a good representation of the capability. So they're not just like a single one line, Hey, this is going to generate this node and, and it's pointing to another box. There's more, there's several options, uh, lines in all of these to make it like, here's a reasonably complicated draft. It would take me some amount of time to actually put this into a whiteboarding tool or what have you, and actually build this myself, right? Uh, versus me doing that in 10 lines of text, which is pretty powerful. Um, but there's also not just sample diagrams. It's a live editor. So as you make changes, it will update um, and caveats on that to come because there are a few things to be aware of, but it also has history. And so you can save your diagrams. Um, it's in local storage. So all the caveats that come with browser local storage, not being 100% persistent. Um, but it, I mean, it's at least enough that, that you can come back to it and pick up where you left off. Um, it also is, um, saving things on a regular basis. So there's a timeline in one of these tabs where you can kind of just go back and like, oh yeah, I was doing that 10 minutes ago and revert back to that timeline, carry on from there. Um, so there's, there's, it's, it's an astonishingly robust set of capabilities. It's not just like this basic, there's an editor on the left hand pane, and then you get the diagram in the right hand and that's it. No, there's a lot of functionality in, in this editor that makes it actually useful as more than just um, a playground. Um, which I thought was kind of nice. They didn't have to go to that level. There's plenty of um, sites out there where it's these kinds of things are presented solely as a playground and as getting you to sit, buy into using the tool and then you'll go integrate it into your editor or something like that. Um, but this is nice and standalone on its own. And then there's a whole set of um, actions that you can work on inside this live editor. And these are all about exporting. Um, so you can get the image to your clipboard. Um, you can also export to ping or SVG um, and or um, 
and, and you can configure like the various, like, should it be automatically determining the height or do you want to specify the width and height of these images and things like that? And so there's lots of nice things uh, that you can do there. There's even a copy markdown button, which um, I think uh, what it's what it's trying to do is like give you a bit of markdown plus a little bit of JavaScript to make this actually work so that you could share it as a markdown file as long as if it was parsing it as JavaScript. There's, there's kind of like that little um, ability where you can have a little bit of HTML in your markdown and format it nicely if when the browser encounters it. So there's all sorts of cool things that the live editor does. Um, and its goal is just to make it super easy to start typing your diagram and it's going to place the boxes and the lines and the arrows for you. So you don't have to figure out the placement. Now, if you're someone who loves placing boxes in specific places, that is probably going to feel like it's maddening <laughs> because it's going to figure out the layout. Um, but I don't like necessarily figuring that out unless maybe it's the very final thing we're done. You know, we, we, we have all of the, the, um, the, the roots and everything else we've, we figured everything out. Then maybe you might, might want to go and take it into a more polished version. Like you, but the collaboration is done. Um, at that point, sure. Take it into a, another tool and, and make it pretty. But I think the output is, is already reasonable enough and um, in the docs, there's even uh, comments or, or there's even uh, instructions on how to change the styles. So you have a lot of control over the appearance, which is nice. Um, so that's a, a rapid fire tour of the editor itself. But what I started with was a sequence diagram. And the reason that I wanted to do a sequence diagram is to, to map out the flow from the initiation of the developer triggering the CLI to asking the first prompts if it was the first time that you were using it, and then what's going on inside the CLI, because there's multiple interactions here. There's things going on with creating projects, there's things with going on with, with getting user input, um, and then there's a few places where we have to go out to some other service and make a call and, and you know, ask uh, ask for certain settings or, or check that you're logged in. And, and those all start to involve multiple surfaces, right? So it's not just me, the developer, interacting with the CLI. It's the CLI interacting with other things on my behalf. And that's where the, the sequence diagram started to come in really handy is because you could represent each one of those players and the interactions even that were happening behind the scenes as far as the developer was concerned, you could still map those out, which was really useful. And um, if you're just kind of imagining that scenario along, like as you're listening to this, mm -hmm. like their example uh, is, looks like a phone call or something, but yes. what, what it immediately <laughs> reminds me of is every diagram of OAuth I've ever seen. Yes. Yeah, because like that's that's one where typically trying to explain that sort of in prose is, you know, a little bit windy. But when you can have something like this that shows, like you said, all of the players in the interaction mm -hmm. and which thing is talking to which thing at which time, um, suddenly OAuth uh, becomes a bit easier to grok. Yes. Um, so anyways, like if, if you've seen something like that before, that's what this is. Yeah. And it's it's really handy in terms of I mean it could be very very expressive you can you could you could uh, go go all out in terms of uh, uh, building this these out or you can keep relatively simple like the the syntax is in such a way that you can um, set up aliases and things like that so like for example um, 
if we're talking about um, a long name of a product, for example, I don't have to type that out a thousand times because that's going to get boring. Um, you know, like if we were saying, like, if I wanted to model the React, create React app CLI, typing, having a player named create React app is going to be a pain in the rear because I'm going to type that many, many times because the whole point of this DSL or domain specific language is that you indicate which uh, player A is talking to player B and you indicate the type of arrow you want. And then you have some prose that describes what this action is. And so you have to be able to indicate who is talking to who. And so what you, in, in this example, in Mermaid's uh, live editor, they're just using uh, people's names, Alice and John. They're short enough. That's easy to type, right? That's not going to get terribly boring or repetitive. But you could imagine like now replace one of those with create React app and another one with um, various libraries that might be use, used on the back end or, or uh, internally. And so what I do like is that you can also assign aliases. So it means that the rest of your code can be relatively terse or your, your diagrams code. So I could say like A talks to J and then the diagramming, uh, the, the visual part of the diagram can say, yep, when you mean A, you mean Alice. And it can render that, that out in full prose, which is kind of nice. So there's definitely affordances here to, to for, for productivity around speed of creating these diagrams and not having to repeat yourself a lot. Hmm. Yeah, super cool. And uh, I, looking through the various flavors of diagram, you, you called out a few earlier, uh, but I, I love like there's some here to like represent classes and state and entity relation uh, relationships, which is super cool. We've talked here in the past mm -hmm. about like actually building entity files for specific types of entities that would be represented, say, in a database. Mm -hmm. But then the, the relationship between those, this is like one level up from that. Um, I'm just kind of like thumbing through the docs here, like yeah. what what's a customer versus an order versus a delivery address versus a, a line item in an order and how are those all interrelated? Mm -hmm. And you can represent that in a pretty straightforward way in the code. Um, but that seems to be the common theme across this entire uh, this entire tool. And one, one of the first questions I had when looking at this today was, you know, it's called Mermaid JS. How is this JS? So like, in other words, are we <laughs> saying it's Mermaid JS because it renders in JavaScript in the browser? Because like you as the writer of these documents are kind of writing something that looks a bit like a Redux version of, well, I don't know if this is even a good um, characterization, but at, at the beginning, some of these look a bit like YAML, though they are not. Mm -hmm. Um, but either way, they're definitely not, you're not writing JavaScript. Is there ever no. a time where you, the user are writing JavaScript or is this just to, you know, the JS parts like, Hey, this is browser friendly and it can render in the browser. This is, uh, that's, that's where it, it, it falls down or not falls down. This is where you, you, you have that dividing line, right? Is it is, um, a browser friendly, um, solution that is reading these domain specific languages, um, that is that is user friendly. And then it's done in such a way that it can render inside the browser and it's, and be integrated with other solutions. So um, there's a section in their docs um, around ecosystem and there's use cases and integrations. And there's a lot of these things in here um, where uh, for example, GitHub can render mermaid documents. <gasps> 
That's and it's crazy. leveraging the, you know, it's leveraging, you know, mermaid, the descriptor. Um, other, I mean, it gets used in, in there a lot of cases. Um, Obsidian, which is um, a kind of note-taking tool, um, kind of like Notion, only it's it's all local. Um, it has um, support for rendering these, and then other products can, you know, have the support via plugins. There's an there's a version for Visual Studio Code where you could be uh, working in 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 your code and have a preview pane uh, that's showing the, the the diagram there. So the JS portion here is specific around this is easy to integrate into tools in the JavaScript ecosystem or yourself. If you decided that hey, I wanted to have a website or a web app that needed to dis- to render rich diagrams of various sorts, um, maybe the timeline, for example, it doesn't always have to be a, a, in the UML domain. And I want to be able to render this without having to write all this code myself. This is a tool that makes that um, easy to do. You can just pull that into your project, tell it to tell it the the, the few lines of uh, mermaid code that you want it to render, and now you've got a nice diagram on your web page, which is pretty slick. Yeah, there's even like a plugin for Discourse, like the forums software that we've mm-hmm. used at, together at Adobe. Um, for, for the developer community and lots of companies use it. Um, so that's super cool. Uh, yeah, so it kind of goes anywhere, but I, I love the sort of the fact that it can be like this native support of GitHub and um, and a number of other places. They have a long list of stuff there. Um, this There's something here that feels slightly relevant to uh, one of my colleagues the other day shared. Um, so GitHub has these like public preview type things that they'll do. And they have a whole domain called GitHub Next. Uh, I think it's githubnext.com. Uh, yes. So githubnext.com will give you a whole list of like all the, the new stuff that you could try um, and where it is in the phase of like mm-hmm. launchability or support and that kind of thing. So there's, there's one that uh, someone shared with me the other day called GitHub Blocks. Ooh. And it seems to me, so like I, I was looking at the mermaid website earlier and it was something to there, there was like a, a sentence on there, maybe in the about page, if I remember right. Ah, here we are. Um, so if you go to about the about mermaid page, that's mermaid.js.org slash intro. Uh, there's a little block quote, I mean, second block quote on the page, but it says, and it's sh- super short sentence, it says, Doc Rot is a catch-22 <laughs> yes. that Mermaid helps to solve. And I don't know a ton about what GitHub Blocks is quite meant to do, but what I can see so far is like, uh, and I think uh, there was a good, where was it? I copied this the other day and pasted it in Slack somewhere. Ah, here we go. So there's a call out on the GitHub Blocks page as well, um, a little further down in the page, but it says basically, and this is the TLDR for GitHub Blocks, readmes don't have to be static. Right. So, but the thing is, of course, like up until now, they kind of did, you did. know, like, uh-huh. so like, <laughs> but the, of course, that's just a limitation because I guess we hadn't thought beyond that quite yet, but that looks like what GitHub Blocks is also aiming to solve again, like the sort of doc rot kind of thing, which I, I've never, I've never come across that term before, but it suddenly explains my feelings about a lot of things. Um, <laughs> it's so true, right? <laughs> yeah, because it's like one of the hardest things that we can ever try to, like, that we often have to tackle is like, mm-hmm. once you've written something, like that's now a thing you must maintain forever. Yes. Um, and so like documents are so susceptible to this, like code eventually will break, your pros won't. 
um, it'll just it'll just make somebody angry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and then you think about, OK, in terms of a, a lot of these cases where in our code, a diagram is often the best way to describe something. And now if you have that rot um, because, oh, it's in X, Y, Z tool and maybe that I, the developer, don't have that version or I that maybe that tool frustrates me for some reason or you know not having an easy way to edit those files means that those often will lag anyway and then that can further uh, reduce comprehension when you're confused why does it why do the docs say this but the diagram says that or even perhaps worse worse maybe not worse but an equally you know unfortunate answer is well we'll just describe it in prose and forego all of the 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 diagrams because those there's a cost to building those and that's one of the things that i that i really like that mermaid is trying to solve especially in in this ecosystem is like is there a way to have those diagrams be you know they're rendered in in more real time at the time when when i'm looking at it but have the domain specific language that's behind the diagram still be easy enough for anyone to be able to write tweak as their code changes or what have you that way you're more likely to keep your diagrams up to date yeah and that that's such a really good call out you know if you think about so the the thing that you just mentioned here about like um uh so you, sometimes we don't create diagrams where that would be the best possible way to commu- communicate some information mm-hmm. because we know it immediately becomes tech debt for, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word um that is that's that's such an important thing to consider in terms of like yes that happens all the time i myself am uh guilty of occasionally raising that as a concern it's like well can we somehow avoid baking this into a static asset that like later we'll have to like find the person who had the application (laughs) that made the thing or make sure that we all have a shared account on this thing or whatever it might be and remember where we made it um, and at the same time, if you recall earlier, th- there's another part of that again, which is like when your tools don't facilitate these kinds of things in terms of keeping them updated or making them easy to iterate or rev on. Mm-hmm. Um, that also means, again, sometimes you get like sort of suboptimal ideas locked in or you're a little bit afraid to sort of like really brainstorm on something if it's already like you're pretty far yeah. into it and someone has an idea and it's like mm, maybe maybe in version 1.1 instead. Um, so. Which the, never happens then. <laughs> the, the capabilities of the, you know, the tool to enable this dynamic approach to work where you're not, I don't know, the term I always end up using is like baking in, mm-hmm. like while you create, while you're ide- ideating, while you're building, you don't want to like really be baking in your assumptions if you can avoid it. Right. Do, using a tool like this is is one way to do that. Um, one of my questions to you about like when you were using Mermaid to design and architect the CLI that you're working on, which I'm dying to know what that is, by the way. And I, I guess you can't tell me, but that's okay. I'll find out soon. Um, soon. <laughs> soon. Okay. So, but when you were working on this, um, there's your ability as a single person involved to freely iterate and not feel locked into some of your early ideations in, in the tool mm-hmm. or the document. What was collaboration like on this? Like, is there an easy way to pull others in and, like, I guess there's a, yeah. a learning curve for everyone, but um, in terms of learning the DSL, the domain specific language for this. But I'm curious, like, how many people did you get to work with on this? Um, what was that like? 
Yeah, and to be fair, um, I have not tried it where it's all editors collaborating at the same time, um, which is uh, one of the nice things with like whiteboarding is you can all be in there playing and, and making changes all at the same time. And I'm sure there's there's a way that you could make that work here. Um, so I didn't have to get into much in terms of like uh, getting the collaborators to understand the syntax. Um, what was nice about this is you had the di the visual representation, uh, you know, on the right, and you could zoom into it and say, "Hey, we're working on this particular piece." And then, then I, as the editor, could be over in the left hand panel. And what was what would would come up is like, "Oh, well, um, actually, we're doing this, doing it in this order, or we're we're we 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 should we should decouple these particular aspects because of." some some architectural or technical reason that I wasn't thinking of. What I really enjoyed was the ability to then audit, be able to uh, select some select some of those lines of code, move them up and around and, and or tweak them slightly in real time and the diagram just updating right after that so that they could say, like I could actually go and say, does this represent the reality or is does this represent how it should work? And then everyone could look at it and say, yeah, that looks great. Or no, it needs to be adjusted in this, these other ways. And what I didn't have to do was spend a lot of time dragging boxes around, copying and pasting boxes, making the arrows say what I wanted them to say. Um, in this particular case, it was just as easy as if you were writing some JavaScript code where it's like, oh, shoot, I need to do, I need to loop this 10 times or I need to change the order of the, 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 the order of things happening inside my loop. Well, you just cut and paste right it was as easy as that in terms of inter interacting with people on uh, on live calls of okay the order of sequence has changed or i need to update some of the this you know who's talking to who and that that alone was was super useful for me um i'm sure there's mo other ways that you could you could pull this into a more collaborative like multiplayer environment which would be interesting to see um but uh just that that bare or minimum capability of being able to rapidly make changes without forcing people to sit through me watching me drag boxes around was was rather nice. Yeah, that that sounds like a I mean, I, I think that if you don't have to do it in real time, like that feels or as long as folks can jump in and collaborate, um, whether or not it has to happen in real time, that, that that would be interesting. But probably my my MVP on that one would simply be like that people are able to jump in and, and make those contributions. Mm -hmm. uh, do we all need to have our cursors in the document? At the, <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know about that one. It like, could that, be fun, though, right? Yeah, I mean, like that's some pretty fierce system architecture designing. Yes. Um, but yeah, why not? I mean, maybe there's a great I, I'd love to sit in on a session like that. There's there's part of me that I always go back to a moment where there was a time where you, myself, and uh, one of the UX designers we were yes. working with at Adobe <laughs> were sitting in a room um, for, I think it was the Adobe XD, like, plugin landing page we were building, if I remember correctly, yes, for developers. And um, on, on one hand, we had the, the UX designer, Courtney, who we were working with, like, live designing this stuff in Adobe XD. And here you are on the other side, like, live building it and and react and um it was just a really cool session uh kind of <laughs> mostly facilitated over like talking over a couple of different laptops but mm -hmm. if you, you know doing that for 
CLI architecture, like that's like the kind of nerdy I'm totally here for. <laughs> and and it and it it was kind of like that again. It's like okay, one you could share it out, and I, I mean, it, the 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 text itself is not like worst case if you don't have the diagram, the text still explains what's going on. You you have player talking to player, um, which um and, and what's going on. So you could imagine it worst case. But having the, the visuals alongside and then on the call, we were able to go, oh, well, maybe we should extract this. We can put it here um, and, you know, updating. Yeah, you have to maybe watch the the person, you know, finagle with their editor and cut and copy text. But the visual could be updated in real time without me having to go through a lot of effort. And so it just sped up that iteration process. Um, which was nice. And um, given that I was talking to developers, engineers, I have no doubt in terms of, oh, could they keep this up to sync if, if this were in code or in document, uh, a document or, or comment somewhere is like, it's trivial. I, I, won't, I won't say it's trivial, but at its ba most basic, even if you, if you're, if you uh, take out some of the other syntax that can make this more fancy, um, there, cause there's, there's, there's always more that you can add into this, but even at its most basic, like you're really just saying a arrow B text. And so as long as you can keep that up to date, it doesn't take that much time to, to learn and grok. Um, but you do have to buy into the concept that the diagram isn't the source of the truth. It is the text that describes the diagram is the source of truth. <laughs> and that can be a little bit interesting. It's, I don't know that it's a challenge necessarily for a lot of us who write code, because it's not the web page itself that is a source of truth. It is the code that generates the web page. Um, but that's not necessarily how everyone thinks about diagrams. Yeah, and it, it could definitely, that is important to keep in mind. Like when, mm -hmm. as we're often very much working in a cross-functional sort of environment, right? Where you have a lot of folks who don't necessarily, um, you know, like tracking things in Git, for example, or opening up a code editor to like, you know, add a new line to some document that while from our perspective will feel readable for other folks, it still would, could, could definitely come across as alienating. So I think mm -hmm. you kind of have to, this is one of those tools you want to pick for the right time. Yes. <laughs> you kind of, uh, you know, un, unintentionally throw up a huge barrier for some of your key stakeholders to get involved. Yeah. And that's a, that, that is a critical thing. It's like the, the whole reason that I thought like even my brain went to a sequence diagram and, and something like mermaid was, you know, we're doing something highly technical. Um, it's going to be, we're going to be talking through this with engineers. This is already like to anyone who's familiar with OAuth, like there's, there's, there's a, um, there's history that makes it like this is already understandable. Like you're not going to have to explain how a sequence diagram works to the engineers. They've seen it already in other other ways. Um, would I have done that to try and explain how a feature worked uh, in the brow in, in an app and trying to convey that to a designer who was non-technical? Probably not. Like uh, there, I'm going to find another another route for that. Maybe maybe I would have. Um, uh, a Miro or something like that, where it's like, you know, the diagramming there is sufficient for describing some of those cases. Um, so you do have to pick and choose um, what you're going for. And it just so happened that it matched up well that the sequence diagram is around a very technical thing. The, the engineers who are looking at the diagram already understand how these things work. 
Yeah, CLI feels like a fantastic sort of situation yeah. where, I mean, that sounds like a, just a super fun project. I'm like, kind of jealous. <laughs> it is. Uh, <laughs> it is. Um, and you, you, you quickly realize, and this is what I found for myself, and, and I'd be curious to see if it was, was true in terms of the collaboration, but just this fact of I didn't have to worry about box placement and leave like my typical stuff. If I'm in a diagram or a visual diagrammer is I'm, I either have to leave myself so much space because I know I'm going to think of something. I'm going to realize a few steps in that I have totally forgotten about this case. So I'm either going to be leaving myself a lot of space, which makes it hard for me to, to navigate and build the diagram, or I'm going to have to make space when that inevitably happens or, and this is partly just because of how my brain is built, I will fight with how the arrows are lining up um, and avoiding or not avoiding other objects. Like that will be where my brain decides to super focus and say, no, it should, it, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to read. So make this thing go over here, make the, make the arrow go over here. But then, you know, if you move it, then that breaks it, all the rules. Oh, Carrie, who amongst us has not been in this place where we're, <laughs> Literally, like you ever get in one of these tools where it's like, wait, is it shift arrow or is it command arrow where it'll it'll give you like pixel level control? Yeah, that way we can absolutely make sure that all the arrows in a row line up mm -hmm. or in a column line up the way who amongst us has not been there for <laughs> more time than they should have been trying. Oh, God, I, I, I resonate with that so hard. Uh, I feel like I literally just did this the other day. Actually, I, I, I'm probably is on the weekly um <laughs> given how many <laughs> presentations i have to put together but yeah it's a um yeah that that's an interesting call out is just like the amount of time sometimes we can spend trying to like oh god this thing's not totally locked into the right position right <laughs> i i was doing exactly that for for a different one and unfortunately i wasn't able to use mermaid for this um it was um uh another uh kind of uh, it, it was in google slides specifically um, but yeah, I was, you know, shift clicking multiple of them and air, you know, moving them by pixel by pixel, um, remembering that, oh yeah, Google, it does that at least let me align to top and bottom. But like the, when it would, uh, um, you know, lock to the grid or give you a guide, like it was always like it, I, it's inscrutable to, inscrutable to me when Google decides this is the guide I want to lock to versus this moment, uh, where that I want to lock to that guide. And so it was a, it was a thing. Um, and I was very happy that I didn't have to do that for this because it could easily be there. It's like, I, that's where I started actually, not necessarily in Google, but, um, actually I think I might have started in, in one of the, maybe Google docs. And it was like not five minutes into where, okay, shoot, I have to draw these dotted lines. They need to be the same height. <laughs> they need to be equally spaced from each other. I'm already wasting time on things that are not about describing the architecture. Yep. Um, and uh, that just drives me up the wall. Um, I will point out, um, as awesome as the live editor is, it is uh, worth thinking about the size of your diagram. Um, because that will either depend upon how readable the output is, but it also does depend upon how long it takes to render that diagram as you're typing. So if you don't like a laggy editor, don't have a long diagram or turn off auto sync. There's a little toggle up there that turns it off so that it's not updating like every time you type a character. If you have a long diagram, you might want to turn that off because otherwise it can start to feel like 
you're typing into um, molasses, which is no fun <laughs> for anyone. Um, that's the worst of both worlds uh, <laughs> is when your tool is lagging behind you. So I would encourage like for short things, like it's nice to see it update in real time. Um, but um, I think I ended up with um, a couple hundred line long uh, sequence diagram document and it was, it was making it work a little bit. Um, so I actually um, had to turn auto sync off um, to, to, to finalize a few of those things. So that's, that's a, that brings up a really interesting question. And I, I was making some assumptions here. So I was assuming the live editor was mostly for small things, jump in, play around kind of thing. Is there a situation like in my mind, what I was imagining is at some point you decide to go all in on mermaid. So you would actually like pull that in as like maybe like an NPM dependency uh, into a VS code project. And maybe you would have like VS CLI, you would have like somehow like a mermaid CLI, like rendering in one pane while you're coding in the other kind of thing. Like, mm -hmm. did I just totally make that up out of thin air or is that a thing that you can do as well? No, there, there is a plugin that will uh, render, like you could have your mermaid document over on the left. You could have a panel doing that over on the right. You could have this built into say your static site generators um, where I want to build my documentation in a specific format. And then there's a build process that emits a particular document. And ultimately that's what you would ideally um, want to do is you're not, you're probably not sharing with most people the live environment. Like it's fine for collaboration, but it does take a split second for the diagram to render. So if you, you ultimately you're, you're still going to be sharing an asset at the end of the day, especially if it's a complicated one where you, you, you know, no one wants to wait. It's even though it's not a long period of time, like a couple of seconds, but that still is enough time on the web to say, Oh, you know, it's taking its time. It's slow. It's laggy. So at some point in that process, you would want to say like, oh, either I cache the image or I'm generating a, a rendered asset um, to, to share around. That way, no one's having to wait for a complex dialogue, uh, cl complex diagram to render. Oh, and sure enough, here we are. Mermaid-CLI is the thing. And it's <laughs> a command line interface for a mermaid that takes a definition file as input and generates you know, an SVG, a PNG, or a PDF file as output. Mm -hmm. um, it does all the things you would probably expect. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, so it's a robust, uh, It's there's a really robust uh, tooling around all of this, um, an ecosystem around all of it. Um, and as their website indicates, like they're continuing to add new chart types um, and new capabilities to those charts. Um, there's we, you know, barely even begun to scratch the surface um, of what you can do. And even when I've been doing the sequence diagram, um, there's so much more that I didn't even get into. It was still useful to me, you know, doing like the five minute, oh, here's how you build basic sequence diagrams. There's a lot more that you can unlock um, and build with this all the way down to like completely custom styling. So you can make these things look exactly like you want, um, which is important if you're going to be using this to create diagrams for like documentation and things like that. Um, it, it is incredibly powerful stuff. Okay. Uh, so one more based on, on the power that leads me into maybe my final question for, you know, my whirlwind tour, thanks to you into mermaid, which is, um, when it comes to power, um, can this thing do arithmetic? Like it, can it do like, in other words, if I'm plugging in values, 
am I then on the hook for making sure those values say add up to the number that I'm asserting <laughs> that they do, or can it do that for me? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, so for example, um, it, I, I would say it depends. There, there is a, a, a diagram type called a pie chart, um, where like, uh, the example that they're using is I have pets adopted by volunteers, dogs, cats, rats, and a, and a certain number in there. And then it's doing all the math to make sure that those are fitting the right slices. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, it's computed the percentages of 79% did X, Y, Z and stuff like that. So in some cases, yes. Um, in a lot of the other cases, like if I was, um, describing, um, some degree of, uh, math of, you know, one plus two in like my sequence diagram, I don't think there's any way for it to automatically run that code and, and return three for me. I could be wrong. It actually wouldn't surprise me if there's not some affordance for that somewhere or, Hey, this is JavaScript. So you could, (laughs) you could augment it and say, Oh, if I see the special tag, execute the JavaScript and then generate the, the, the DSL that then feeds the, the, the CLI that then generates the output. So I think there would be an answer for that. Um, some of the other things that was interested uh, to me is like, once you get in, got into the, like the Gantt chart, you had what you, you could specify things in terms of duration, so like I didn't have to figure out, you know, okay, what is two weeks from March 15th? It was, I just had to specify two weeks and it could figure out where that actually landed. All right, that's um, handy. So there's variations on that theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, and yeah, not to, not to go there, but you can imagine having like a, a formula, special sort of data type, like maybe it supports some basic spreadsheet type song mm-hmm. or some other things like that, that, um, yeah, yes. it's, it's an interesting thought, uh, but um, I think given the level of depth it can go to already, it's definitely above and beyond. Yeah, it, it does a, a, an awful lot. Um, it is um, incredibly easy to get started because you have the live editor. There's variations of software that you can download. If you prefer apps that, that work with Mermaid, you can do that. Or if you would like VS Code. So there's there's ways to to get uh, to um, incorporate this into your workflow. I will say one of the things um, that I actually did is this this led on to a follow on of another really cool Mac app. It's not specifically Mermaid, unfortunately. I think there 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 are some Mermaid Mac apps out there, um, but this one is specific to sequence diagrams. So this is this is this person's passion. Um, there's this app out there called Sequence Diagram. Um, not free. Um, and I can see why in terms of after, you know, seeing the polish that they have applied to the Mac app. Um, and it's one, it's one extra benefit is that because it is purely native, it can, uh, support larger diagrams before you get into that laggy. I feel like I'm typing in molasses feeling. Um, so I actually did, uh, finish uh, a couple of these diagrams there. Luckily, the syntax is not so different. Like th- this is sequence diagrams are not areas where there's a lot of in- inventing of <laughs> diagram of syntax of how do you describe a syntax di- a diagram. Um, but that's also an incredibly useful tool um, if you want something that is that feels like it belongs on the Mac. Um, sequence diagram is definitely a tool I can recommend for that. But there are other ones out there. There's UML ones. There's Mermaid ones as well that you can download. Some a lot of those are like wrapped with Electron, 
Um, but still, that those capabilities of having that locally versus in a web browser, some users may prefer that. Awesome. Um, so actually, like maybe we pick up on that theme like right here at the end. And mm -hmm. um, so we spent our time talking about Mermaid today, which looks super cool. Uh, and then kind of as kind of based on that, there's a lot of other thoughts we can have, including like, okay, so there's an app called Sequence Diagram, for example, that's uh, that, that seems like it's worth checking out on the App Store. Um, I had a short list of like kind of <laughs> random shout outs that have kind of come up uh, based on kind of what we've discussed here that I thought maybe I would surface as well. But mm -hmm. be before we jump into any of my kind of like, oh, Mermaid's neat, it made me think of X, Y, and Z. Um, do you have any other ones that you would want to call out in addition to sequence diagram that you played around with as part of this process? Um, so sequence one, sequence diagram is the one that I settled on. Um, I, I evaluated a few of the other ones. Um, this sequence diagram looked the most Mac friendly um, or the at home on the Mac. And it was specific to my use case. Um, it is very specific to sequence diagrams. That's all it does. Like it, it doesn't sequence diagram does not support all the other diagrams that mermaid does. So there is a little bit in terms of you're, you're getting a tool for a very specific job. Um, in the past, um, one of the tools that I would have most frequently reached for say, um, five years ago, and even, even more recent than that, um, would have been, um, OmniGraffle, uh, where you're, uh, it, it is a very rich diagramming tool and I've mm -hmm. created lots of diagrams with it. Um, and I do really enjoy that, that, that piece of software a lot. Um, the challenge there again is that it, the diagram is the source of truth. And if I want to make, uh, radical changes to that, now I am moving boxes around and that's not necessarily a bad thing, depending upon the kind of diagram I'm creating. Um, but for this particular case, um, reaching towards a visual diagramming tool was not my first choice. Um, I did look a little bit about, um, were there some other like UML, um, like uh, I think there's another one out there called DITA, um, D-I-T-A-A, -A, which is, you know, a way to do diagrams with ASCII um, that I have played with in the past. Um, but this one was just a little bit, one of the first ones that came up and it's like, it clicked with me is like, oh, this syntax makes sense. I can do this. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, two good, really option, uh, really good options there. And OmniGraffle. Yeah. There was, there was a point 20 years ago where that would come like defaults, like on a Mac or maybe mm -hmm. you had like a, a version of it that was like a freeware version or something like that. Um, yeah. I can't say that I've touched it since then. I've used some of Omni's other products, but yeah, that's a good call out. Um, I hadn't thought about that one in quite a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that one is the one that when, if I'm doing just the diagram for myself and it's not something that Mermaid does or um, or if I'm not going to be necessarily collaborative, like it's just something I'm building on my own machine, that one is still in my muscle memory as, oh, well, I'll, I'll go here and I'll build it because the other options are fighting with, you know, like Google Slides or Docs or drawings and that just wastes way too much of my time. OmniGraphle at least generally gets routing and um, things right there. And like the grid or their guidelines aren't, aren't seemingly random. And I know like a lot of these other tools, those grids and guidelines aren't truly random, but sometimes they can be hard to understand. Why are you giving it to me in this case, but not in this case? And, you know, what other object you're, you're, you're gaming the, uh, the object representation of the diagram to figure out 
if I move this over here, maybe I'll get that guideline back. <laughs> or if I uh, adjust the rest of the document, I'll get the diagram, the, the, the thing back. Um, and that's just because I have to have everything a certain amount of pixels away. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, I get it. And it's the, it's a, it's a silent killer of time, Carrie. Mm -hmm. uh, so absolutely. Anytime we can avoid that. Um, I'll, I'll call out a few of mine that are kind of a little bit more of p potentially uh, like increasingly uh, an oblique strategies uh, type uh, take on on some things that I thought about uh, as we were talking about Mermaid. Uh, the first one is probably more of an immediate connection, and then it gets a little bit more tenuous from there, but I'm boldly going to do it anyway. So here we go. First up, um, when it comes to mind mapping, I'm a huge fan. Uh, and mm, yes. uh, as a matter of fact, I used to actually... Uh, I, I worked at a startup in, in Osaka, Japan, a long time ago, where we would have people fly from all over the country on Wednesdays to learn about using certain digital tools in their own startups. And one of the ones that um, I, I would uh, take the lead on teaching um, was MindNode, mm -hmm. or I'm uh, sorry, mind mapping in general, right? But, um, you know, so I'm, I've been a big mind mapping fan for, for quite a long time. Um, I've tried a lot of the tools over the years and by far and away, if you're in the Apple ecosystem, like MindNode is the one you want. Um, it's fantastic on all devices. It syncs on iCloud. It just gets better a bit of like over time. Um, I just, I don't know. I, it's just one of those things where it's, it's not necessarily a tool I'm using every week, but, uh, then there are some times where I'm literally in it every day. I've done occasionally presentations on it. I try to avoid that, but when I am building a presentation, for example, like my node is the place I will start. Um, but I find it's useful just to sort of unfold my mm -hmm. mind in general, the concept of mind mapping. But again, just the the way that it's native, uh, my node itself, the way that it's native to you know having first class citizens on the Mac, on the iPhone, on the iPad, and it all syncs with iCloud, um, just feels really yeah. good. So that one can't say enough good things about it. Totally agree. I mean, I haven't used it nearly to that to that degree, but the the few times I've seen it in use or where I've played around with it, it's like it is super smooth. It is it feels at home on the Mac, which is is important to me as a Mac user. Is I, I do want my apps to feel like they belong there, and it, it's definitely one of those that does. So the next one that I have uh, is. This is definitely kind of going out into space a little bit. Uh, this is a little calculator. I'm going to botch saying the name. <laughs> Tidlig? Maybe. I, I was uh, anticipating how, how you were going to pronounce this. You know, I've never thought about it. And every time I try to look this thing up, like in spotlight on my phone, because I can never remember like what folder I've tucked it into. I don't use it often. But when I want to use it, it's like <laughs> the only tool I want to use. So you spell these, this app's name, T-Y-D-L-I-G. And they build themselves as like a new kind of calculator for iPad and iPhone that sheds legacy limitations of old devices. Okay, that that's not super specific. Um, but basically, uh, what it gives you is like this running feed of calculations that you can then use the results on one line to feed into subsequent lines. So that like, Ooh, you're kind of nice. on the fly, you, you get like, so let's say, for example, you know, you have a calculation where you're adding two plus two, and that equals four. And then based on that four, that represents something that you can label in text if you want to. So it's four people. And then you know that four people going on this trip, if it's like $500 each, four times 500, you're going to get the the result of like how much you need to, to pay up or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, kind of contrived example. But then like later on, oh, no, I need to go back and change because now it's going to be five people. Well, 
there's a lot of ways that you can do this on a plain old calculator where you're just basically going to type it all in from the start again and you don't get to right. see your work, right? Right. So, one, I, and again, Tidlig may do a ton of other things, but what I like about it is when I'm kind of like trying to feed in a number of variables into some basic calculations on the fly, um, you can you can grab for this. And as a matter of fact, I was having a conversation at brunch with my wife today where I pulled this app up. And again, I had to remember, <laughs> is it TYL or TYD or what is it? It's kind of TY. And um, anyways, uh, I, I, as far as I know, I've paid for this calculator once uh, 10 years ago. It still is, works great. Um, and uh, occasionally when I want to do something that a, a plain old calculator just isn't quite going to be what I need. Um, this gives a little something extra without pulling up a full blown spreadsheet on your phone, which is always not a great situation. Yeah. I, I mean, looking at their, a uh, number one, their site looks like this may have to be an Insta buy for me. Um, but it also does not look, uh, like there's no in-app purchases. It's a, it's a one and done kind of thing. Um, so I'm definitely, I definitely want to try this. This reminds me a little bit of, um, but not nearly as visual of another little tool in this vein called, um, Calca. Um, and it's kind of the same idea, but it's, it's not, uh, from the visual perspective. It, you, you define some equations, you can give them, you can give the, the equations a name, um, and then it will update in real time all the results of these things. So kind of like a spreadsheet, um, but um, a little bit more where you're still showing all the work. And and I had used that a few times of like, oh, I want to model my pay or I model my taxes or mm -hmm. model what it's going to cost to do a certain feature or, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, if uh, like a road trip or something like that. And then you can you can put all these in here. Who's going to pay what? Um, and get a final result out at the end of the day. What I really like about Tidlick <laughs> is, <laughs> is the visual nature. Like it, 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 it's like just looking at the images here, it, it's like, say you can see how each number is getting used and how it's connecting to other things, which, which uh, that alone is, is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so it's definitely, uh, worth checking out. You can tell it's been, been, around for a while based on the site they uh, they support external keyboards but it's definitely they show a mac one that's like an external keyboard that is definitely <laughs> a, a bit older than the one that's probably sitting on your desk today and that's totally okay the app itself is fantastic uh use it today and uh, highly recommend it um the last two i'm gonna the, the last couple of shout outs are less related to diagramming and more related to sort of uh uh api or cli design mm -hmm. um the first one's just going to be like, so I have a book that's being delivered today called Mastering API Architecture uh, by authors Goff, Bryant, and Auburn. Um, I, I don't know uh, what the book's going to be like yet because it's like probably got delivered while we were having this conversation, but uh, <laughs> I'm just super excited. Something to look forward excited. to, right? <laughs> yeah, it looks like this one, I don't know if it's the first edition or not, but if I'm not mistaken, I think it came out in November of last year. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, these kind of things, you kind of got to jump on them while they're fresh because the space moves so fast. Uh, yeah. So that's part of why I'm just kind of mentioning it sight unseen is like, you know, if you happen to be someone looking for some more inputs into um, API architecture, uh, you know, it seems like there's a great book out there right now or probably a great book, definitely a book anyways. And then uh, we can, uh, I'll, you know, get into it at some point soon. 
the one that I have done that I wanted to call out specifically is you mentioned architecting architecting a CLI, which is a fun challenge and probably one that doesn't get talked about nearly as much as API architecture, mm-hmm. uh, but super important, right? And there's there's a lot of different um, things that once you start realizing, like you know, we're architecting for the command line and for developer needs. You mentioned, for example, the different phases in the developer's journey as a user of that CLI. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just a lot of stuff that really deserves a lot of consideration. Whereas um, sometimes CLIs just kind of happen, like V1 of them will just sort of happen. Yes. Um, so I, I'm always interested in like whenever I see a little bit of thought leadership on um, CLI, just like what does it mean to kind of think out your CLI in advance and from a user perspective? And also like, what are some UX affordances that we can build into CLIs? Because of course, um, you know, we've talked about on past shows, you know, the command line interface, still a user experience. And Mm -hmm. so that necessarily means there are going to be some patterns that are better than others and may as well try to learn about them. So, um, one of the things that I checked out, I want to say is a couple of years ago at this point, I can't quite remember when I did, um, but it's a course called, uh, it, it's first of all, it's a course by an author named Ahmad Awais, who I believe works at Rapid API and developer relations. Um, I don't know him directly, but uh, he's great to follow in uh, different spots because like on back when I used to use Twitter, um, was one of those people <laughs> that always had some cool stuff to share. But he has... Um, a course on building um, CLIs in Node.js, which, um, you know, we got a chance to kind of like you spearheaded carry doing that for the Adobe XD uh, CLI mm-hmm. back in the day. We got a chance to work on some of that together. Um, but that's um, this course was like, I just loved how much it went into really thinking about the developer experience inside of, you know, um, a a command line interface. So uh, there's lots of fun tools in here to discover as well, like new NPM modules that make your terminal or your command line do different things when the script is running. So um, he has uh, the URL nodecli.com. Again, um, this is just one of those things where I I had a lot of fun um, going through the course. Uh, And I think there's just a lot of great little things to grab and, and, and learn inside of that. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at that that webpage and it looks incredibly comprehensive and there are things in there that it would be all <laughs> all too easy if you're just slapping a CLI together to 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 not really think about um and and um you know create something that isn't a great experience. Um and I think that's the the catch, right? Even though we're not necessarily putting pixels on the screen, or we're not necessarily thinking about it from, oh, this is a whole on uh, native desktop application or whatnot. All of the same concepts about how how that the user is going to engage with your CLI should still need to be still be thought of. How do you handle errors? How do you how how do you guide the the user from step one to step two and uh, you know all the way through the the flow of your CLI? How do you manage um, you know? make interaction easy and not obtuse or uh, irritating to use. And I'm sure we've all used CLIs where it's like you want to curse at the CLI more than you want to use it. Um, And so it looks like there's a lot of stuff that he's considered on this page in this course that would be worth, uh, worth looking at. 
Yeah. And at some point, this would be a fun topic just to chat about like what it, especially if once your CL, your super secret CLI is, <laughs> is available and talk a little bit about the considerations that go into like the layout of the commands, mm-hmm. the, the footprint of the commands and the flags, because, um, let, let, you know, just think through, for example, like, um, well, I think sometimes you kind of get into like a version one of a CLI and it had a certain scope and then you find, oh no, like think of that XD one, for example. And then suddenly so we added like, and added. Oh, added and added. And then suddenly it's like, well, maybe this needs to go beyond one application. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you look at something like GitHub's uh, CLI GH, uh, which is basically, GH is, at least from my point of view, essentially a namespace that wraps up yeah. a ton of other CLIs. Um, and so like you kind of get into this whole sort of like what what is the intended scope for this to be going to be um, there's one way where you can kind of start off on the small end and then find your trying to like how do we cram this down or do we have to start over <laughs> to yeah. in, you know handle a, a different scope there there isn't but the the opposite problem is that like if you're going to iterate your way into like the CLI that maybe someday is going to have a large scope right and you start out assuming that, then your users may be asking, well, if this command, like you have a namespace command, essentially, and then like two subcommands under which, you know, and then it's like, <laughs> why well, did you go to that effort? <laughs> yeah. What's, what's, what's the top level for? Right. And, and so, you know, I, these are, that's what makes architecture an interesting question, right? Is you end up kind of having to consider the future, but not so far out and speculative that you sacrifice today's user experience um, right so i don't know i think like for me anyways like at some point i i'd, I'd love to I, I i know that you've i feel like this might be definitely your second cli since your career started at adobe um maybe yeah. your third something um, like that <laughs> i'm guessing so like i think you, you've been around that block enough to have some interesting um lessons learned that we could talk about at some point yes we definitely need to add that to the list of future future episodes of the considerations uh, to go into CLI design and some of the, I, I mean, the challenges around that too is like it's we we like to think of oh it'll be easy to make a CLI and it, and you it in some ways it is easy to make a CLI but is it easy to make a CLI that that it, your developers your users will actually come back to use again and again and aren't going to feel like aren't cursing your name as they're using that. <laughs> like that's the, like, I mean, great that they're using it. Right. But you don't, you don't want it to be a frustrating experience and that is easier said than done. Yeah. I mean, you know, let us never forget that once I, I sat down and hacked out a, a little CLI to help me just in Node.js to help me figure out, um, where on my wall to hang shelves exactly um because you know right. <laughs> i could spend time hanging shelves but let's be honest i'd rather be scripting thanks for listening to this episode of i'd rather be scripting if you love scripting terminals z shell javascript development and other random technology tangents as much as we do we'd love to hear from you You can always leave a review on your preferred podcasting platform, or you can reach out to us via the social links on our website, idratherbescripting.com. Until next time, I'd rather be scripting.